The Q Affair. Part Two. Chapter Nine. He became the exception, and I became terribly fond of him, terribly quickly, as he became a constant presence on my channel, a welcome visitor, with always something funny or interesting to say or ask about in relation to my videos. I called him affectionately my channel cat and told him he was like a lucky mascot, a mouser that kept the pesky trolls in their mouse holes and created a cosy atmosphere, which was much appreciated. And I always looked forward to seeing what new things he posted in my comments when I arrived home from work tired. He was always pleasant to others in chat too, but seemed fondest of me and saving all his best conversations for after my live streams, all of which he turned up for magically within minutes whenever I went live and commenting under videos quickly after they'd been uploaded to ask about a picnic I'd had or what my favourite landscape painter was or anything I was interested in that he seemed to want to know more about. He joked that we were planting seeds in comments from which a pretty garden would grow on finding me making little videos about tending my garden or admiring wild plants or the landscape on summer walks or spring planting as he went back to watch older videos I'd posted, having seen the newer ones many times over. He started to want me to talk to him privately. I wouldn't, I said because I didn't know anything about him and I'd promised myself not to email anyone. You must have seen, I pointed out, the trouble that people got into when they emailed back and forth with the truth fleet. I knew he was catching up on some of Desiree's videos too, because I referred to them sometimes still in mine, since she wouldn't leave me out of her narratives about the stalking gang and hated me more than ever because she hadn't managed to get rid of me off YouTube so she could carry on unhindered, making up murder stories about me and other people she decided she hated to help get sympathy for being stalked by the gang. This she could try to turn into money through selling quilts to new subs or ask for donations without the interruption of my contra contradicting her on videos or having me laugh at her wild stories sometimes on the blog, between laughing at many of the other crazy stories and funny interactions between the various channels, and the fascinating way that it related to this new topic I had. I was looking with interest at how groups worked, like cells in a beehive or bees swarming, with subs in channels moving out to gather nectar from narratives and create their own honey from what they gathered when they arrived back in chat in their home hive. I knew my new sub was aware of the phone calls that had been made to All Rock Together's house and the doxing of Neo before she decided she'd leave YouTube or at least do a good impression of someone who'd gone away quietly, despite Desiree referring to her often in a victorious, smug tone as an example of how easy life could be if you let her have her way, conveniently leaving out all those whose names were still brought up as murderers years after they'd tried pretending they'd never met her or weren't related. 
that cat got his way in the end, as I was fond of him. Somewhere in my mind, I wasn't sure if he was the jerk-off that had been in comments once, but I found I wanted to talk to him when he used the, I thought, thin excuse of having something really important to tell me that couldn't be said in comments. I supposed it was a ploy just to get me there, like a cartoon cat trying to dangle chocolate in front of a mouse hole instead of the usual cheese, an extra tasty morsel to tempt. But I thought if he started trolling me, as Terence had done, with the request to play jokes on Desiree, I'd just do the same thing and turn tail and leave, going back to the mouse hole of my little channel and talk to him there a bit more distantly, until he got the message and went away, as others trying to troll me had done. I even wondered if he was Terence, or someone related maybe, like the troll that had bothered me, that I felt was responsible for helping Desiree put together the graphics for the Psycho channels, but rejected the idea, since I'd had so little contact with Terence, just that once, when I turned down his offer to help get rid of my troll, then ask for help himself that he thought I'd be happy to give. Unless the jokes had some connection with the email, I thought. But still, why come to me if he had what he wanted? I never for a moment considered Desiree as a suspect, as there was no way she could disguise her hatred of me to the extent of pretending to love me and absolutely no way she could pretend to be anyone erudite or cultured, being so oafish and lumpen in her general outlook about most things. It was someone a bit more sophisticated than the trolls I knew who'd worked with her in the past, if indeed it was a troll at all. It might have been one of the Discordians, who were a bit more cultured and interested in similar topics to me and who I knew read my blog posts and sometimes came to my channel. I wondered whether I might relax and just enjoy the company, or was I going to regret it if I did? Well, here we are, I said, once he'd messaged me on Twitter, thinking, well, in I go, trying to remember if the cat McCavity ended up dead in the poem with his throat slit or if it were the curious that sought him, that were assigned that fate instead. What was it you couldn't say in comments? I must admit, I expected the I love you thing, although he'd done it already quite openly, while jousting for my honour in our Battle of the Limericks episode. What he did say made me laugh nearly as much, though not that he could see, luckily. I'm Q, he announced. I know you'll think this crazy, but I have to tell you. It's vital, of course, that you maintain secrecy on this, as the security of the whole operation is compromised if you don't. That was a pretty easy promise to make, as who wouldn't think it sounded ridiculous? And who had I to tell that listened or that wouldn't laugh at the silliness of some random from my comment section announcing they were Q. Why on earth would the oh-so-important Q be talking to me at all, with all that posting he was doing down on the 8chan boards, kept so busy with Q-drops, 
coordinating with the president to take the cabal down to drain the swamp. This was straight-faced joking, perhaps, not something he'd done so far with me. Perhaps a really silly lie, just to impress me. He'd done the military thing just a while back, taking to calling me ma'am in comments, which I'd laughed at, until he insisted he was from a military background, a uniformed soldier, and it was just his way. When I'd pointed out that uniforms never impressed me much, the Irish having a completely different attitude to what soldiering was about to the American one, where active service was seen very much as a bringing democracy to the rest of the world, doing them a huge favour, which they were supposed to be grateful for, as opposed to just joining the army. In Ireland, it was a career like any other. Maybe you ended up serving in peacekeeping forces in the Lebanon or somewhere and not in a big moral crusade in your own mind, but in it to get qualifications and a small pension or advance your career up the ladder slowly for not much pay. Nobody really paid soldiers much attention whenever they were spotted outside their barracks in the city, unless there was a bus strike on and they were helping people get home from work by putting their trucks to good use and carrying elderly ladies' groceries up the ramp before helping them into seats in the back. Then they were the heroes of the day, with some usefulness and evidence at last. I remembered how I playfully jeered him about it and how offended he'd been at my tone, which I'd had to then apologise a bit for and roll back on telling him why the army was a different kettle of fish altogether in the Irish psyche to the American one, since we're in neutral country and had a completely different mindset about war as a result, probably. I was sorry if any offence was caused. Secretly, I still found his attitude silly and had always hated the booyah attitude that seemed to conjure up people chanting Murica, Murica, with their fists in the air like savages. That image in the air around truthers who kowtowed to any YouTubers who had seen service, constantly thanking them for it and insisting on calling them sir years after they'd finished their service. I felt similarly about nurses and doctors or nuns or businessmen. I just hated suits and uniforms basically and authority. It implied other people's made-up rules that subservient-type bullies wanted you to live by, whether it suited you or not. My heart sank a little at the realisation that I probably had a full-time fantasist on my hands. I'd liked it when the fantasy was a nice one I'd liked, involving flowery language and gadding about like Galahad through comments while I admired the colourful seeds he'd planted there. But I thought Q silly and didn't like where this was going now much. He could detect my disappointment, I suppose, because he quickly explained that I must think him mad. Yes, but it was important for me to know, as we could not get any further if he didn't let me know, and he wanted to be honest with me and get it out in front, then get me to agree that if we were con to continue to talk, all our communications must be private. Right, I thought, time to get my coat, as it were, and go. How to leave without insulting him terribly? Was he going to say any moment? I'm just kidding. Wanted to see what you'd do, you silly moo.
I hoped so. This was way beyond awkward. I needed to be able to laugh, as suddenly I felt terribly let down, as I assured him that I wasn't thinking him mad at all, just needing to digest the information a bit for a while. All the fun had left the room. Now I'd gone into the DM room alone with him. In my real room, I stared out the window while wondering what to do. He continued to post comments under the exchange. Eventually, I responded further, and I might have said something about it being a lot to take in, or give me a while to let it sink in, or some such delaying tactic, because I dreaded insulting him again, after the offence he'd taken about the uniform remark in comments, and how long he'd gone on about that afterwards, which struck me as rather over the top and a bit sulky, but not something I wanted to repeat. I just didn't know what else to do with it and suddenly just wanted to be alone for a while, up a mountain or anywhere else but there, then laugh or cry or something. I didn't know what to do with the sudden mad assertion he'd made in private. His next comments helped little as they did admit he realised it sounded very weird and I wouldn't believe him and so on. So at least he was in touch enough with reality to make excuses. But I thought it was a rather mean-spirited joke, if that's what it was. If not a joke, he was not all there in the same department and was like one of the people that would sign up for a Q channel to chase down the paedophile networks that the elites were all in, to traffic children for eating and harvesting their organs for adrenochrome and all the filthy things Q is about all the filth in life and constantly dwelling on it. And this guy wanted to be Q. Sheesh. He gave me an excuse to go when he brought the topic up himself while asking me to promise to at least give him the chance to explain further after he gave me time to digest his claim to be Q. It neatly got me off the hook straight away, but hooked me into a further promise. I said good night then and left. Next time he appeared in comments, I agreed to talk to him again in DMs, and he was as charming as he had been in chat, but the topic of Q had to be discussed. Now he brought it up, like a leviathan lurking under any other conversation, and he told me suddenly, in the interests of truth, he said, that he was the J. Quinn in the email but that Desiree had never been intended to get sent the email, as it was a private communication between himself and Gerald Cross, who was the main decoder he was working with as Q, to get information to truthers through his YouTube channel. The info pill Zach thought to have been Q earlier was, of course, proven to be a fake, but Q had kept posting no I said nothing at this point, since I felt my head was fast melting with all this incoming nonsense. I was glad he filled the gap of my uncharacteristic silence with his explanation that Cross had been hacked and some of his correspondence had been sent out to various YouTube channels by whoever managed to hack him. Why Desiree was on the list, he guessed, 
was because someone wanted to mess up the operation by getting channels interested in Q, involved in wrecking the whole secrecy of it, by putting out the hacked information to foghorns like Desiree, who were guaranteed to want to talk about it and attach all sorts of disinfo to it to confuse people. Like the thing about her insisting it was this lawyer guy, and these types were good at getting people to notice when they talked on and on. It was all spycraft, this kind of disinfo. Oh boy, I thought, I didn't sign up for this nonsense. I was just enjoying a chat in my comments. This is what happens when you break your own rules and do something stupid. Consequences follow and you have to deal with them. I was beginning to hate Q even more than I did already. I couldn't think of anything positive to say, so I just answered with a brief, oh, I see which tends to be my go-to phrase in written form, where it would probably be, hmm, and a head nod to assure, assure someone I was listening, were they in front of me. There was just so much there, all thrown together, like a pile of dirty dishes and pans in the sink that you couldn't really ignore. You had to face it. I didn't really think that the email had come from his direction as he explained it. The hacking of Gerald thing sounded slightly more plausible, with so many hacker types interested in Q and all watching Desiree's Q content and related Q channels. Someone could have just carbon copied the hacked email to her to see what narrative she'd make up around it out of curiosity or for fun, as a Discordian might do, to get more free entertainment and laughs out of her reaction. Now this Q claimant was claiming to be the J. Quinn mentioned in it, and so claiming Q was interested in little old me. And the more explanations he came up with to flesh out his initial explanation with, the dumber it sounded, stretching the imagination even by Q standards. The rest of the information was even hazier, and floated around these two initial ideas, which at least had been vaguely possible, if not very plausible. One thing was solid. There was someone out there, or a team of them, creating those Q posts. And they were on YouTube too, since that's where the decoders were, putting out the narratives that posted on the 8chan boards, and the much less porn-filled, pared-down site QMAP designed for elderlies like Desiree, who pretended they'd no interest in seeing the filth on A-chan, but who probably secretly visited it for filthy thrills between Bible study sessions. The fact that he'd found me made sense, since Desiree never shut up about me. He might even have been writing back and forth to Gerald Cross on an emailing list or something, as the decoders offered extras to Q fans who were willing to donate cash or purchase T-shirts or mugs with Q emblazoned on them. I realise now, though, that the message she'd received sounded a bit like it had been about the timing of something, telling the Quinn person to wait for the two-hour window then proceed. It didn't sound like something you'd send to a fan on an email list, but I hadn't listened closely enough, not being interested in anything Q, and had concluded it was probably Discordians having a joke with Desiree, knowing she was trying to get Cross's attention, 
but did sound rather like what my fantasist was telling me now, that it was a cue drop timing that had been discussed, and what moment the drop was to go up on the board, to synchronise maybe with something that Donald had tweeted out a few hours before, that he had some inside scoop about the secret coded meaning of that he wanted Q researchers to ponder on some more with decoder's assistance. If that were the case, I would have to take into consideration the seemingly ridiculous idea that maybe the email, if genuine, meant he was possibly Q, or at least on a rumoured team of about 12 anons, sort of disciples of Q, who posted using the identity Q. My mind was blown and started to melt like an ice cream cone in the sun as I stared thoughtfully at the interestingly shaped summer's day clouds floating by my living room window, with my tongue out tied up in a kind of paralysis of thought, but feeling mightily fed up at having to think about this at all. An interesting logic puzzle and boring at the same time overall topic. It was interesting to wonder, but potentially terribly dull, I thought, if you had to wade through a lot of very silly narratives of Q's posts to try to find out who and what Q really was about, as so many were trying to do, just to find out if this guy was having a laugh when the whole Q business seemed like someone having a big laugh in the first place. Still, he ventured, it's working out okay, isn't it? I mean, she thinks Q is this lawyer guy and she's so busy rabbiting on about that that she's almost forgotten about you and the excitement. It was true and she hadn't mentioned me in a while. What with the annoyance at the All Rock Together host's treatment of her precious email and her chasing up the Quinn lawyer with letters, which she was polite enough to respond to back and forth, keeping her happy for a while. Turned out the lawyer she'd randomly found was a truther-style fundamentalist Christian himself, with a big admiration for Trump, as well as a willingness to tell her all about the Chicago gangster Mancino that he'd defended before his death in jail. Murder by the mob that killed her daughter, Desiree was sure. Lots of fodder there for more channel narratives. So, um, yeah, Mr. Q for Quinn or Jay or Mr. Cat in chat or Dashing Galahad or the Jerkoff or goodness knows who else he was in life. Certainly very difficult to establish whether my map of the territory was even the right way up anymore after I'd just started filling parts of it in and it was enough to give you a headache, what with all the other stories to keep track of. I started to be glad of the boring day I was going to have at work the next day to give me time to see if letting it settle made it seem more sensible or clearer. He wasn't about to tell me much about who he was in real life, not yet, and I didn't really want to know if he was as nutty as he seemed. He kept me on board, though, with his stories over the next few days, as he did a lot to explain about why he turned up in my channel. He'd felt sorry for me, 
and the rough treatment I'd received at Desiree's hands on viewing her content, which happened as a result of her going on about the decoders so much, something he'd always taken an interest in. He wasn't on social media himself, mind you, and the account he'd made on YouTube to talk to me was new, having created, been created only recently when he dropped by Desiree's channel to ask her something on tuning in to hear her comment on the decoding. I realised, contrary to his claim that he wasn't on social media much, he must spend a lot of time watching videos if, as he claimed, he took a close interest in all the decoders of Q-drops, as there were so many of them to keep track of, with many hours of the different decoders' materials on the various channels, and new videos spawned every time a new Q-drop came out. Not to mention being Q, down on 8chan and all. It seemed very fishy but I couldn't make sense of it all at once. Of course, he would be required as part of his job to keep track of some things on YouTube as he worked for the NSA as a PSYOP specialist in intelligence, as Q, something he'd be able to speak about very little for obvious reasons. I wished he'd shut up about it altogether and he could keep his stupid Q clearance forever for all I cared, but of course you can't turn the clock back not even if it's a magic decoder clock, like the Q clock, the workings of which were a puzzle to me, like so much else. In another way, it was interesting. His personality was what interested me, more than his Q obsession, which got duller and duller as we went along in our first few conversations. He detected my boredom quickly and kept ploughing through with even more Q information. Even though I pointed out politics wasn't my thing, I was more the books and art type than the political comings and goings type. I wanted our nice conversations back and would by far have preferred to be in comments with him than here on Twitter DMs talking about him being Q. He insisted that he needed me to see that he wasn't mad, but he gave me little breaks by talking about other things of interest to both of us as well, and made me laugh and settle down, until I'd started enjoying myself enough to wish him a good night when it got very late, and promise I'd talk to him again for a while, soon. It went on like this a few evenings, and when the shock wore off slightly of who he was claiming to be, I was still enjoying talking to him as we ranged through not just Q, but mixed up all kinds of topics in our eagerness to communicate. Enough to say when he announced for the umpteenth time, I'm not mad and I'm not lying, when he brought Q up again, that I didn't care if he wanted to be Q, the time would tell as it tends to, and he could be who he wanted, Q or a cat, both at the same time, as long as he was pleasant and fun about it, and kept me amused, and kept wanting to make me happy. I was fond of him, very, I pointed out. You don't have faith in me, though, was the disappointed response. Tell you what, I said, I'll take a leap of faith and stick around a while. Is that enough faith for the moment? That would do, he said. And that leap seemed to be a turning point as he declared himself delighted that I'd said I'd keep talking to him. 
I'm not sure that it was that to him right at that moment. But I remember thinking in my own mind that the leap I was making was into loving him for adding all that magic by way of his imagination into something I could see we had both been constructing together within a very short space of time from the moment we met. I took his hand and jumped that gap into his arms. I knew I would pay for that leap later, reader. I'm finally old and wise enough to have learned that much long before, even before meeting him. And I paused, looking down into its depths, thinking in the seconds before I pictured myself jumping across the ravine, helpfully pulled across by his strong hands in mine with perfect timing to get me across. I had asked myself, am I prepared to pay the price for my pleasure? As I looked down into the darkness there, knowing there's always a price for that extreme of joy. Yes, came the answer back, gladly. I am not such a fool as you suspect, dear reader, so don't shake your head so at my foolishness. There was a secret pact I whispered in my mind too, after the ravine answered my question. I'll get out if there's too much pain in it, I promised, as I had been into the depths of love once before, as well as the heights, and had some idea of what clawing your way out might mean once you started losing your footing on the edge. I had no intention of ever risking losing my footing and coming to such harm that I would be unable to ever make my way out again.